I've been uh, working on my dad jokes for camp. I'm going to save you from them this morning. But ask me afterwards. Jason, you ask me afterwards. So at this time, if there's children who'd like to go to children's worship, they can be dismissed right out the back. Sorry, I, I got so excited to fear, you know, scare you guys into thinking I was going to tell a dad joke. I forgot to dismiss the kids. So kids will be dismissed out the back, go to children's worship. They get to hear the message, uh, a message uh, of the gospel at their age level, which is really cool, really excited. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be camping out in verses 11 through 14 this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Several years ago, a pastor named Mark Dever wrote a book, wherein, the, and in this particular book, he began by lamenting the fact that he had visited several churches over the years when traveling around, and he discovered something. He discovered that it was uncommon to find someone in a church who you would describe as a growing Christian. There's an epidemic of spiritual immaturity in our culture, which is fueled by a lack of discipleship and uh, also fueled by proper, uh, excuse me, improper views on church membership. So what, what this pastor Mark did was he made it a key part of his ministry over the years to address this problem in his writing and, and, and different ministry uh, over the last like 20, 30 years. And so over the years in my own ministry, though, I started thinking when I, when I read those things, when I heard those things, I started thinking in my own ministry, and I found that to ring true. And in God's sovereignty and plan, he's actually addressed this problem of spiritual immaturity in Scripture. It's as if God knew it was happening. Because he did, right? <laughs> we all know, right? This morning, as we continue to dig into the book of Hebrews, you know, we've been diving deeply into all of the ways that Jesus is superior. Jesus is better, we said, is the theme of Hebrews. And this passage this morning is very heavy. I just need you to understand that from the onset. This isn't lighthearted fare. In fact, next week's message, so the following verses are even heavier. They're even heavier. The author of Hebrews in writing to these Jewish Christians is trying to keep them from falling into some grave errors as they live out a life of following Christ. He's trying to explain to them all of the ways that Jesus is better than their old Jewish ways and the old covenant system. And as he does that, he confronts them with some warning passages. So as you read through Hebrews, you pop up with these warning passages, and some of them are pretty stark. Because he's trying to be the guy jumping out in front of the bus that's headed to the cliff saying, stop. He's calling them out where they need to be called out, out of love for them. He's not trying to prove a point. He's not trying to win an argument. He's trying to help them. He's equipping them to persevere in their faith and grow more in Christ. That's what he's trying to do in these warnings. Now, I had originally had this as a part of a larger chunk of Scripture with the following 12 verses in uh, bleeding into chapter 6 as well, but then I realized that it truly could be more than one sermon. So in the interest of doing this and hopefully shortening it up a bit, as the Lord allows, uh, we're going to do it in two parts. Today will be the first, uh, the first part, and then next week's passage 
which is one of the toughest, most disturbing, and most argued passages in the Bible, will be part two. (laughs) I'm saving that for right after camp. Uh, may not be a great idea, but that's what I'm doing. The writer seems to want, the author here, he seems to want to enter into a deeper study. We're going to see this as we're going to begin reading in just a minute, but he seems to want to enter into a deeper study of the heavenly priesthood of Christ with the great, uh, excuse me, the Christ as our great high priest, sorry, that we talked about last week. And if you missed that message, go back, listen to the audio, because it'll help kind of set some things up in context. But he wants to, he seems in this passage to want to go deeper into that. But he finds himself in a difficulty because his audience has become dull of hearing. Boy, that's not something I want to be said. <laughs> like, you're kind of dull of hearing, right? I don't think the word dull you ever want to be used with you, Right? They couldn't go deeper and see how the gospel connected to all the deep truths of the faith. He uses the example of milk and solid food. Now, I, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that Pastor Cal loves babies. I love babies. Like, I'm holding the babies, we're taking selfies, we're, we're, we're playing, we're talking, right? We've got a little baby girl over here. I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name or not. So we've got baby girl. And if baby girl is up here, and she's laying on a blanket, she's got her bottle, and she's giggling, maybe rolling around, although I don't think she's quite old enough for that, but she's giggling and rolling around on the blanket, we'd all think, this is normal, this is great, it's a cute little baby, like everything's great. And she gets a little fussy, she kind of starts crying about something because, you know, the diaper's dirty or she's thirsty and hungry or something. And we're like, oh, that's normal, baby, it's fine. Now, right? Now, if we've got a blanket up here, only on this one, it's Bill Coy up here rolling around (laughs) in a diaper with a bottle of milk, crying, fussing, complaining, cooing and gooing. We're not okay with that, right? It's time to call the special doctors, right? Or the cops, maybe, right? <laughs> Policia, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's essentially, essentially, that's the picture that the author of Hebrews is going to be painting in, these pa- in this passage here. These Christians that the author is addressing should have been mature, but they were acting like spiritual babies. And it was not okay for them to stay that way, and it's not okay for us to stay that way. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, and see how the Word of God addresses this. Beginning in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to help us understand it and apply it to our lives. Lord God, we come to your word with open hearts. 
and open minds. I pray you would, the meaning and truth of your message, you would bore it deeply into our hearts. That, that we would see what it means, that I would be clear in my explanation and that we would apply it to our lives, that you would show us how to apply it and how our lives need to change or how our lives need to adjust to come in line with what your word says, Jesus. Let us not be dull hearers, but help us grow into spiritual maturity. I pray you would increase and I would decrease. Help me make much of you this morning, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So today we're going to see the author of Hebrews, paint a picture of the immaturity of the Hebrew Christians. So let's take a look at that picture. If you're taking notes, you might want to just write down a picture of immaturity. Because what we're really going to do is we're going to look at who these infants, spiritual infants that he's talking about are, that were not ready for solid food, that still had to have milk. So a picture of immaturity. As we look at them, we're going to see the symptoms of this immaturity. And the first symptom that we come to is dull to the word, dull to the word, or dull of hearing. As he writes to them, he wants to go deeper on Christ's priesthood. He wants to go deeper in how superior it is to Aaron's priesthood. That's what he had just talked about in the previous section. He wants to go deeper. He starts out saying, about this, we have much to say. Like, he, he wants to say more. He wants to go deeper. But the problem is, the people had become too lazy to understand. Their ears, their minds, and their hearts were too immature to understand the deeper concepts that he was wanting to get into. See, people who are trained in the Word of God and are progressively growing in their faith are just quite simply better equipped to understand the deeper things of God. Some, Some people willfully will close their ears and their hearts to the Word of God. And they, they will regress in their faith, and they will struggle with understanding and grasping the deeper truths of God, and you see them drift. Al Mohler says it this way in his, his great commentary on this. He says, Believers have a moral responsibility to know and understand Scripture. We often act as if our biblical ignorance is merely a matter of God hiding or withholding knowledge from us, Yet Scripture teaches us that our ignorance of God's Word is a moral problem, not an intellectual one. When we deliberately ignore God's Word for whatever reason, we sin against the Lord. In the case of the Hebrews, the congregation became intellectually sluggish by their negligence. Their spiritual immaturity was their fault. They grew intellectually dull because they became sluggish of heart. Christ's priesthood became difficult to understand because their hearts became indifferent to Scripture. Thus, the author must stop explaining Christ's priesthood in order to admonish his people to prod them out of their lethargy. Saying they couldn't understand because they had neglected the Word of God. They had neglected the Word of God, and their their hearts had become indifferent to Scripture. They'd become sluggish of heart or lazy of heart. They just weren't willing to give themselves over to the Word and to the understanding. 
He goes on, symptom number two, the, they were childish in their understanding. Now, I'm going to speak real quickly about this because I'm kind of going to combine it with another, uh, another point. And so let me just say this. They were childish in their understanding. Our faith is to be childlike, not childish. Okay? Our, your faith is to be childlike. We're supposed to come with the faith of a child to the Lord. 100% absolutely. But our faith is not to remain childish. We are to grow into spiritual maturity, spiritual adulthood. And I've seen this over the years. Generally, you'll have a brand new Christian, and they're so hungry, and they want to learn everything there is to learn, and they want to know everything there is to know, and they want to, they want to like, adjust their life to the way that, that a Christ follower is supposed to live their life. And they, they just, they're so thankful for the gospel. They're so thankful to Jesus. And they grow, and then, and then a lot of times I see people in churches, they hit this thing that uh, one pastor I served under called spiritual adolescence. And that's where they decide they know more than any of the leaders that are above them. They know more than the pastor. They know more than the elders. They know more than, than scholars who've studied this for 30, 40 years. They know more, and, and, and then all of a sudden they shut themselves off, and nobody can teach them anything. And what I see with those people is a lot of times then, it doesn't take very long before they start to veer into error. Because no one has the authority to teach them anything in their mind. Like nobody can, nobody can speak anything into their life. No one can hold them accountable. And no one can teach them anything because they already know it. Right? So we are to be... And they think they're already grown. And the secret, the secret to the spiritual growth thing is to always understand that you can always grow more. Like we're always growing until you're in the ground. Right? Until God takes you home to heaven, as a believer in Christ, you should always be growing. And you will either be growing or regressing. We don't have a natural, it's not like we throw down the anchor and we stay right where we are, okay? We're either growing or drifting, and we talked about that clear at the beginning of the Hebrews uh, series when I talked about uh, the, the warning against drifting, when you're out in a boat and you think you're just sitting still, but you're really not, you're really headed with the current. So they were childish in their understanding, and we should be childlike in our faith, but not childish. Point number three, or the third symptoms, symptom, looking at these guys, he says they should have been teachers by now. You should have been teachers. We see in this that our relationship to the Word of God, it's connected to our spiritual maturity. So our relationship with the Bible, with the Word of God, is connected to our spiritual maturity. I've shared with this with you several times that there was a study done a few years ago by Lifeway Research. The number one indicator of someone's spiritual maturity, where they felt like they were at with their walk with the Lord, uh, their ministry, any of that, it's connected directly to their engagement with the Word of God. These folks should have been teachers by now, but they had forgotten the fundamentals of the faith. The author uses the term teachers. When he does that, He's pointing to their responsibility as Christians to disciple other believers. He's saying to them, you ought to be making disciples by now and be equipping and training others 
but you can't because you still need baby food. You should be feeding to others, but you can't because you can't even feed yourself. The church is supposed to be made up of disciples who are maturing and training up newer disciples. The author's not writing about them being elders or pastors. Not everyone in the church, listen to me, not everyone in the church is supposed to be a pastor. I would go further and say there's a bunch of pastors who probably shouldn't be pastors right now. But anyway, that's a whole thing. I'm not going to name names, okay? I'm not going to name names. But not everyone in the church is supposed to be a pastor or an elder, but everyone in the church is supposed to be a disciple maker. Everyone in the church is supposed to do a part in discipleship. He uses the word again. For though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He uses that word again. That's important to our understanding of this. These people had failed to internalize the basics of the faith and were having to be instructed in it again. They had received good, solid teaching, but they'd not internalized it. These are the things that we should know by heart. They didn't need a recap, okay? They didn't need a review or a recap. They needed to relearn these things because they didn't actually learn them. You know, you can say, it's like there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? We'd all say that to our kids, right? Okay, you heard me, but were you listening to me? Well, being taught versus, being, versus learning from the teacher. You can be taught at or you can internalize what you're, teach, what you're being taught. They don't need a recap. It's not a refresher. They need to relearn it. We must be careful in our lives to internalize the teaching that we receive and take it to heart so that we get established in the faith and are able to take up our responsibility to then teach it to others. In other words, so we can go and make disciples. Look, this warning, I know it sounds like he's talking a lot about intellect and like head learning and knowledge. But this warning is not only about the intellect of the Christian life, it's about the whole Christian spiritual life. We need to be learning more, learning more and more to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We need to develop our appetites for the things of God. The more we know should lead to the more we want to learn. The more we learn about the faith should increase our hunger for more learning. And we shouldn't be just... um, We shouldn't just be doing that for ourselves. We shouldn't just be doing that for ourselves, but also so that we'll be able to teach Christians who are not as spiritually mature as we are. It's in this way that your spiritual growth has an inward and an outward dimension to it. It's not just for our sake, but also for the sake of others around us and for those who we don't yet even know that come into our lives and need to be discipled. So are you discipling anyone right now? Are you involved in the discipleship process? And if not, the question is, is it because you just don't know how? That we can help with. Is it because you've um, not internalized the things you've been taught from the Word of God and you have to continually be 
retaught and, hand, and you're still on a steady milk diet. And you need to relearn those and internalize those in order to move on. Or are you not discipling because you know you're supposed to, but you're either scared or you just don't want to and you're unwilling and you're like, no, you're telling God no, basically is what you're doing. I, I can help you with all of those things. Repent and obey. Repent and uh, repent and change. Change. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel like that old Bob Newhart skit. I think it was on Saturday Night Live, right? He's, he's playing the part of the psychiatrist and the guy or the gal, I don't remember who it is, comes in and you can look it up on YouTube, comes in and lays down and is talking about all of their problems and he's sitting there, he's got the notes and finally he just says, stop it! Just stop it! Just stop. At some point, I don't know, sometimes I think as Christians, we're like waiting around for some kind of magical cosmic something to happen. And the Bible's pretty clear. You're doing this. It's in. Stop walking towards that sin and start walking towards God. Like repent. Change your way you think about that sin and act towards that sin. According to the gospel, Jesus died on the cross for that sin too. And if you're really trusting him, if he's really your king, obey what the king wants you to do. It's, I mean, I don't want to boil this down to just do, just do, just do, because that's not it. The message of the gospel is what Jesus did, not what we do, okay? But our response to what he did is kind of what we're talking about. How are we responding to the truth of the gospel? If we say we follow Jesus, we say we love Jesus, we have staked our eternity and our lives on Jesus, then we should be really focusing on growing mature so that we can make disciples. Fourth symptom of these guys being spiritual babies on spiritual, uh, being spiritually immature. They were on a baby food diet. They were on a baby food diet. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Instead of going forward, they were going backward. Growing in grace involves also growing in knowledge. And there was a real problem. This was a real problem because there were fundamental principles and doctrinal foundational elements that are really needed to understand more complex truths of the faith. And, they, and he couldn't go on further as he wanted to because they couldn't get it because they, they didn't know this other stuff by, by heart yet. I was trying to think of an example, and this one came to me. It's like in college. I don't know how many of you went to college, but I'm going to explain this. When you sign up for college as a freshman, you cannot walk in day one and start attending German 401. Okay? You, can't, you just can't do that. There are classes that you have to take that lead up to German 401 that start with the basic understandings that are needed 
to do the 400 level class work. Because when you walk into those, uh, when you walk into those 400 level classes, they don't even speak English anymore. They just start talking whatever language you're learning. Okay. I had three years of Spanish in high school. Three years. I don't have any prepared, I'm sorry. But I had three years of Spanish in high school. In year four, I believe you would walk in and she would just start off in Espanol. But I never made it to year four. I never went to year four because I started late, so I didn't have time to get to year four, right? But there are prerequisites that you have to have to get to that next level. And you have to start in the 101 class and move forward. And these required lower level classes are called prerequisites. And the principles, these basic principles, are like prerequisites. And next week we'll be, we'll be looking at what those basic principles are because the author lays them out for us in chapter 6. But for now, I just want to talk generally about them as the basic storyline of Scripture. These Hebrew Christians who are the original audience had failed to put the revelation of God into practice. They were spiritually lethargic, and the result was that they stayed babies in the faith because they couldn't handle the solid food because their spiritual digestive system could not handle it. When Asher was, and he's not in here, so I can say, tell this story about him. When Asher was a baby, his digestive system did not work right. We would feed him food, and then the food would be in his diaper, okay? It, did, it just didn't work right. His diapers were awful, okay? We started taking him to a chiropractor who started adjusting him, and everything changed, and his digestive system started working, and his diapers were... But he couldn't... His digestive system was not able to handle that food yet. These Christians were not ready for steak because their system couldn't even handle it. It's natural for a baby to live on milk. The point here is not that milk is bad. Milk is great. It's key to life. If you have a baby, like there's nothing wrong with the baby living on milk. It's natural for a baby to live on it. But there's this word picture, and and here's why it's so powerful, is you wouldn't give a teenager breast milk or formula, right? Most teenagers are not coming home. They want a snack, so you're like, well, let me get the Infamil. And then you, is that, is that a thing, Infamil? Is it, and then you, you know, mixing the powder, shaking it up, putting it in a little bottle, and here you go. No, they want a cheeseburger. They want, they want pizza rolls. They want steak. They want something solid. Because you need solid food for continued growth. You can't stay on milk. Your internal reaction to that what I just said, shows what the author, why the author used this particular picture. These Christians should be dining on T-bones, but they're sticking with 2%. Actually, let's be honest, they were probably on skim. I'm just kidding. They had the teaching of the apostles. This is the strongest, it's like the strongest solid milk you can get, Right? I said solid milk. I mean milk. And they couldn't go on because they had become lethargic. There was a a man who'd been with his company 25 years. 
And he was still doing the same old job he had been doing for 25 years. He was still drawing the same salary for 25 years. If that was me, I'd be long gone. But he's still doing the same job, getting paid the same salary for 25 years. Finally, he goes to his boss and he tells his boss that he feels like he's been a little neglected. After all, he said, I've had a quarter of a century of experience. My dear fellow, sighed the boss. I've never had a boss that talked like that, but okay. My dear fellow, you haven't had a quarter of a century of experience. You've had one experience for a quarter of a century. Doing the same thing over and over again, having to continually relearn over and over again and never growing and progressing in the faith. The more we know about ourselves in Christ, the better we are able to be prepared to move forward spiritually as God permits and leads. That's the other thing. God, you know, we're responsible to, to do our part in our spiritual growth. But ultimately, we have to remember that it says God permits and leads. Fifth symptom of spiritual immaturity, they were unskilled in the gospel. Unskilled in the word of God or unskilled in the gospel. The Apostle Paul uses a similar metaphor to the author of Hebrews. Again, a lot of people think that Paul may have been the author of Hebrews. I'm really on the fence about that one, okay? I think that's because it doesn't say, so we don't really know who wrote Hebrews, right? We talked about that at the very beginning. But the Apostle Paul uses a similar metaphor to what we find here in uh, Corinth, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. And it says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. So we see this continued, like, this agreement of Scripture that there are some basic things that we need to learn that are basic to understanding that we need to know so we can go on to more complex things in our spiritual growth. When the author uses... When the author uses the phrase, the word of righteousness, in Hebrews chapter 5... And that was in verse 13. We talked about them being unskilled in the word of righteousness, or maybe your translation says the message about righteousness. He's essentially, based on the context, he's essentially talking about the gospel, which is the message that leads to salvation. Christ's followers are supposed to not be ignorant about the gospel. That, like, I read that and I think, well, yeah, duh, but I'm going to read it again. Because apparently the Hebrew Christians didn't get this. We are, or sorry, excuse me. Christ's followers are supposed to not be ignorant about the gospel. We aren't supposed to be untaught in the Bible. We are supposed to, by the call of God, be skilled in the message about righteousness and to walk in the ways we have been taught. Again, Hebrews 5.14 but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Our powers of discernment get trained with practice. For those who are mature, excuse me, immature, for those who are immature and on a milk-only diet, they'll be unable to properly exercise discernment. People who are still on that milk-only diet, that of, of not on the solid things, are going to have trouble with discernment. They're weak and have not enough practice at it. Their discernment muscles are weak. Discernment is a must for our lives. We need it. Some of you may wonder what this discernment thing is. It's a word we sometimes hear, kind of a church word that we hear. Discernment according to Moeller, is like a theological grid or a worldview that helps us make instant moral and theological judgments about our circumstances. I'm going to read that one more time because that's kind of a complex definition. But discernment, according to Moeller again, it's like a theological grid or a worldview that helps us make instant moral and theological judgments about our circumstances. So moving on from milk to solid food will increase our ability to practice discernment. So why is that important? Why is that important? Well, Muller, he explains that by using this illustration. He says, imagine a heart surgeon, okay? We can imagine a heart surgeon. Imagine a heart surgeon who has to stop and rethink cardiology in the middle of surgery. Imagine how disastrous it would be if he needed to consult a textbook every time he entered the operating room. No one wants that kind of surgeon. We want surgeons who can use the intuition they have developed over years of dedicated practice. This need for discernment applies not only to surgeons, but also to Christians. Discernment is a higher order of thinking and can only be acquired through diligent training and experience. We want surgeons whose powers of discernment have been trained by constant practice. Yeah. Now, that's not to say you have to know everything. Look, I'm going to tell you, people ask me questions about just anything. You just, people ask me questions all the time. And I quite often have to say, I haven't looked at that in a while. Give me a minute. Give me a couple of days to study this a little bit, and I'll get back to you. So you don't have to know everything. I don't know is an acceptable, example, uh, an acceptable answer when someone's talk, asking you about something. But just like a heart surgeon, there's certain basic things that he doesn't have to look up. He doesn't have to look up those basic things of cardiology, like what pumps the blood where and the direction the blood flows and what vein this is and what artery this is. And, like, he doesn't have to look those things up, and you certainly don't want him to cut you open and be like, oh, Bring me my textbook from the 301 class. Right? Those who are mature in Christ must train their discernment powers by constantly practicing them. And the failure of these recipients of the letter to the Hebrews is, is that they'd failed to both consider and internalize the fundamentals of faith. So they hadn't considered them, and they hadn't internalized them. They should have been teaching others by now, but they're still just infants. They had every opportunity to hear and internalize good teaching and mature by the power of grace in the gospel, and they did not. They could have matured, but they did not. They were willfully ignorant of the things of God, and because of it, they could not eat the tender, juicy, nourishing steak, but instead had to be bottle-fed. 
If they had learned discernment, then they would be ready for solid food of the heavier manners of God, matters of God's Word. And the same is true for you and me. We'll never get to the point in our maturity if we don't study the Bible. Or sorry, excuse me, I said that completely wrong. We'll never get to a point in our maturity where we don't need to study the Bible. You're never going to get to the point where you're like, all right, I got it. I don't need this anymore. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get to that point. Even maturing Christians need the Bible. We need to understand the basics and how they open up our understanding to the deeper things. So many times I have conversations with people, even evangelistic conversations, and they have an issue with something that Christians do say or believe. And oftentimes, if I'm given enough time with the person, I can trace that back to some basic misunderstanding of some basic fundamental element of Christianity that they just, they just did not understand. We need to understand the basics and how they open up our understanding to the deeper things. We need to know how to read, study, understand, and make reasonable arguments from the Scriptures. I'm not telling you to argue with people, but we do need to be able to make a reasonable argument or a reasonable case for what we believe from the Scriptures. I see so many godly people who are able to do that. But I also see so many people getting pulled into false teaching and even into approval of the things that the Bible calls sin because they've quit growing. You know, when I get close to Winterset, Iowa, I can tell you that I'm close to Winterset, Iowa because of its familiar territory to me. I know the general lay of the land. I can tell you about where I'm at. If I got lost, if I, my car broke down on a gravel road and I got lost out in the country close to Winterset, I could probably get back to town. I can discern where I am and where to go because it's familiar territory to me. Discernment just means that when we open the Bible, it's familiar territory, right? doesn't mean you know it all. But when you open the Bible, you're not in a foreign land. You're in familiar territory. It helps us see how one doctrine relates to the next and the next one, and so on. And we start to see the, the whole story of Scripture. I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up for our final song. And as they come up, I want to ask you a question. When we talk about this spectrum of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, from milk to solid food, okay, where are you at on the spectrum? I said you're either growing or regressing. And this passage is it's a stark indictment on those Christians who are regressing when in fact they should be growing. We know this. We should all be growing. The reason we don't much of the time is because we're not internalizing the things of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you've heard the gospel that Jesus died in your place for your sin on the cross, that He rose from the grave and that He is God and Lord and Savior. You've repented of your sin and trusted in Him alone for salvation. If that's true of you, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and helping you understand the things of God as you study them. He helps you internalize them. This is a grace given to us as part of God's family. 
The message is not do more, try harder, but that Jesus has already won the battle. He's already defeated death in the grave, and he's made a way for you and me to grow and mature. So now you step into a life of obedience to your king. And as you do this and study the word and internalize it, you will grow in maturity. It's a slow, lifelong process. It takes time, but it's good and it's right, and we need it. We have to come to God with a childlike faith, but we're not called to be childish in our faith for our whole lives. So take a long, hard look at your life. Are there areas in your life where you're spiritually immature and still taking on milk? Maybe you're like, oh, I got this, but over here I'm really, I need, I need some help. I need built up. Have you been lazy in your approach to God's word? I urge you to repent and fall on the grace of Jesus. Then go and do the things that help you grow. It's time for us to think differently about about our responsibility as a Christ follower. Maybe you're someone of whom it could be said that you should be teaching others this stuff by now. Every one of us who follows Christ has a calling to make disciples. It's not just for your pastor. It's not just for your missionaries. If you leave it all to us, it's not going to be quite as efficient. Making disciples is for all followers of Jesus. If you claim Christ, then it's on you to make other Christ followers and teach them the things about following Jesus. You may say to me, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Well, I want to help you get there. Come talk to me. Let me help you. Or you can always talk to another brother or sister in this room and ask them to help you get there. We've got to start discipling one another and others in the community of Dixon so we can see the gospel advance, the darkness pushed back, and the things we pray for. See, the thing is, there's the local church, and that's God's plan for reaching the world. And there's no plan B. That's it. That's the plan. The local church is God's plan for reaching the world. It's the local church that appoints pastors and elders. It's the local church that sends out missionaries. It's, it's the local church. Next week, we're going to continue with part two of this message. It's going to focus on how we grow in maturity. I'd be glad to share it with you. But first, first, we need to be willing to put our yes on the table. So will today you tell the Lord, God, I will do what you command. I will do your will. I will obey even before I know what you're going to say. Will you take that spiritual checkbook of your life, right? And sign your name and leave it blank and just say, here God, you fill it in. You fill it in. Whatever it is, my life is yours. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray and after I pray, we're going to sing one final song together. I don't know where you're at with the Lord, if, if, but if the word of God has pricked your heart this morning, the Spirit has, has moved in your heart and, and convicted you of sin, I would, just, I would just beg you to respond during this time. Respond by just falling before Him, fall on His grace. He's, he's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He wants good for you. That's why He inspired the author of Hebrews to put this warning in Scripture and why I'm preaching it this morning because God wants you to grow.
His, his plan is not for us to stay stagnant. He wants us to grow in our faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you made a way for us to have a relationship with God. That you made a way for us to grow from uh, baby Christians to mature Christians. And that you uh, died on the cross in our place for our sin. I pray you would help us to do the things that we need to do to grow and that we would trust you with the outcome. That we would, you know, we know we need to study scripture, but we trust you to grow us through that. That we know we need to pray and we trust you to grow us through that. that we know we need to be a part of active member of a local church. We, we trust you to, to deal with the outcome of that. Help us to be obedient to what we're supposed to do and to trust you with the outcome because the results are up to you, Jesus. The results aren't up to me. My job is to obey, surrender and obey. And it's constant. And it's lifelong. Help me stay faithful. If there's anybody out there who's dealing with these things, God, who's maybe they've seen themselves and, and um, they've been encouraged by your word, but they've also been convicted, I pray they would just fall in your grace. Repent of sin and trust the good news that you defeated death in the grave rose again, showing that death has no power over you and no power over us. Help us take you at your word, Jesus. Be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name I pray.